Right, I need to, I mean, volunteers to come and help out this morning, please. There are some prizes involved. My my lovely assistant over here will hold up these calorie-free chuckle slabs of chocolates, all right? Can we have some more lights on, please, right? The only only reason why they're calorie-free is because it's Sunday, right? So you can eat... Anything at, at, at all that you like, right? I'm so sorry, I just realized that we've got the generator, and that's obviously why we are keeping it very mellow. So ignore everything, I, ignore me asking twice. We can keep it however you need it to be. It's, it's, it's no problem. Um, all right, okay. I, whoa, there are definitely more volunteers than, uh, than in the first service, eh? Okay, guys, I'm going to be very honest with you. Only because we had two ladies in the first service, I'd really like to see two guys go at it. And so we've got Matthew who put his hand up and Drayden who put his hand up. I'm so sorry, ladies. I do, I do think that you can ask, ladies and, and Ethel, you can, ask, you can ask them to share their chocolates afterwards. All right. Matt, you can come up onto the right-hand side of here. Drayden over here. You guys are going to have 30 seconds. By the way, I would just, just be mindful that your table could move. So you might want to actually put your, your foot on the leg. That's up to you. It's just I don't care if there's an excuse. So, so, so it's up to you. If you want to win, then don't cheat, but just make sure that, that you keep things stable. So they're going to have 30 seconds to, to stack as many dominoes as possible. And just to, just to add a little bit of an interesting factor to it, if you both manage to uh, add each each domino, right? So, and by the way, it has to be up this way, okay? Like that. So not like that. That's easy. Like that. If you all, if both of you manage to put up all twelve, then whoever's got the longest train uh, will get the bigger chocolate, right? So there is a smaller chocolate. I don't know why I'm looking at Matt as I'm assuming you're going to lose because you're not. I mean, I'm sure you're not going to, right? Uh, there, there is a bigger chocolate, there's a smaller chocolate. So we're going to have a thirty-second uh, clock that's going on behind us. Do you both know what you're doing? Any questions? I mean, you can, you can move these however you want to out of the way. Let's not give Drayden a head start. They've known each other since they were very young, so they're good. All right, let's hit it, guys. 30-second countdown starting in three, two, one. Hit it. Remember, you want as far apart as possible. I feel like they're going to both have all 12 up very quickly. Then they're going to have to start moving. Oh, I spoke too soon. Yo, yo, yo. 15 seconds left. Okay, 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 wait. Just, just, oh! Matthew, you've got... <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Here we go. What's that for, dude? Is that to... Okay, guys, we have a winner. Drayden has won. Matt's going to get saved later on today. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. You can move those out the way. And you guys can share it with, with whoever you need to. Oh, we have one more piece here. That is from uh, Kids Church. Tammy will not be happy if we, if we lose any of, their, any of their dominoes pieces. All right. So that is, that is simply to remind us of something that I think quite a few of us know to be true, but sometimes to a dangerous level of familiarity. The fact that, that every choice we make has a consequence. Now, again, please bear with me because I know we know this, all right? But, but I want us to just try and th- apply our minds a little bit in the context of choices that we're making in our lives, especially where they are recurring choices. I realize that all of us face unique choices from time to time, and it may be a pretty dramatic choice or a pretty subtle choice, but what I'm more wanting you to think of, excuse me, is where it comes to patterns 
and habits um, relationally, financially, physically, in terms of our walk with God, how we approach work from a diligence point of view, etc. So, so those, those areas where there are recurring choices taking place, how, how consistent you are with your studies or whatever the case is, or your chores at home, I don't know, fill in the blank. Anything that is recurring and consistent. Whatever choices we're making consistently, it does have a domino effect. It does have a knock-on effect. Galatians 6 verse 7 is a very well-known passage that, again, if you've been around church at all or, or, or familiar much with Scripture, you would have heard this before or read this before. But in the NIV, it, it reads this way. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, now, for most of us, that just makes sense, right? That sounds, that sounds fair. If I'm going to save, uh, chances are I'm going to have savings. If I'm going to exercise, chances are I'm going to be fit, even if I'm fat fit, right? But, but, but chances are you, you know, you, 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 you're going to be a little bit fitter. Um, if I never exert myself physically, I'm going to be less and less fit until I'm completely unfit, right? I mean, these are just obvious things, right? You don't have to be a Christian to believe this. These are... These are almost like universal truths. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you knock over the one domino, it's going to knock over the others, and eventually there's going to be a whole train. And the question for us, of course, is, is that going in the direction we want it to? Is it a life-giving knock-on effect? Is it where we actually want to go? Verse 8 says, whoever sows to please their flesh, so that's referring to, to basically our own human desires, where, where we are doing that in defiance of God's plan for our lives, right? So whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, that, that, that last verse is really important because even if we know this mentally, on an emotional level, on a human level, we are consistently, I think, tempted to think short-term. Well, I did a good thing, I should experience some good fruit, quickly. Or I did a bad thing, nobody needs to nod or look like you're agreeing with me, okay? You can just, you can just process this in your own mind. You did a bad thing, and nothing happened. You, you, you cut a corner somewhere, you still, you know, you, you, there was a little bit of a smudging on the lines, and, and yet, like, like the, the sky didn't fall in. And so either way, we can sometimes be deceived if we're only looking short-term, and we're not actually looking at the long-term domino effect, the long-term knock-on effect. Now, Again, in some ways, that could be bad news for some of us instinctively, but I want to tell you that no matter where you are, no matter what season you're in, or whether you are reaping the consequences of incredibly destructive seeds that have been sown in the past, the great news is, as long as you're breathing, you can sow new seeds that can outlast the old harvest, the destructive harvest, and, and if you will do what you didn't do before, which is just trust God with sowing the right seeds, if you don't grow weary, if you don't give up, if you, and that's where faith comes in, because actually you're trusting God with the long term. It's, it's the long arc that you're actually trusting that you're going to get to where you think God's told you is going to get you, if you will do what needs to be done. 
some of you might be mindful of the idea that if someone were to take off in an airplane from Cape Town International Airport, aiming for London, right? So you kind of pretty much, I mean, I don't know if they do, I don't think they fly straight, but let's just say you're kind of flying all the way up Africa and you're aiming for London. But if the setting on the navigation system is off by only one degree, only one degree, you could land up on a whole other continent. Why? Because it's the long arc. It's, it's the trajectory over a lengthy period of time. And again, I'm so, I, I so deeply do not want people to be discouraged if you're like, well, Flip, I've been making a lot of bad decisions, so that I'm in trouble. Again, that, that may be short term, but my encouragement to you is that you can make a change now. You may not be able to make a brand new start. You can make a brand new end, though. If you're still here and breathing, which would be weird if you're here and you're not breathing, let us know. <laughs> the, the story's not finished. Yeah. But, but it does take a certain perspective. It does take us actually slowing down enough because that's the reality. We live at such a speed that we can just keep skimming over all of our choices. We're skimming over the domino effect and where that's actually leading to. And, we're, and, and it's so easy for us to live life without actually paying attention and, and recognizing that, hey, we're, we're, we're either going off course or, hey, we're, we're heading correctly. Even though, even though, if someone were to take a snapshot, right? Let's say, let's say you are, I don't know, going to New Zealand, which is, I think, the furthest point we can kind of go to, more or less, from, from but you're going via Dubai, Okay, you kind of want to get to Dubai, Middle East, but then, but then you've got to, you know, turn to, to New Zealand. If you take a snapshot at any point of the journey, at any point of the navigation, it's just going to be like, wait, what are you doing over Botswana? Or wait, what are you doing over Kenya? Or, or, maybe, or maybe you eventually get to Dubai, but then, but then it's like, wait, what are, what are we doing over Turkey? And, and so in that moment, you feel like, like, are we going to get to where we need to get to? Because I thought I was... I thought we were traveling, what is New Zealand? East, I thought we were traveling east, like why are we going north? But, but because there is faith in the pilot and faith in the navigational system, somehow, you know, nine or 10 hours later, taking off from Cape Town, you land in Dubai, and then, I don't know, I think it's something like 15 or 16 hours later, if you take off from there again, you land in New Zealand. And I think what happens way too often is, is we, we take a snapshot every now and then, and we, and we are either falsely secure in where we think we are, or we are falsely discouraged by the fact that we're not yet where we want to be. And this principle of sowing and reaping, of choices and consequences, is, I just think it's one of the most significant biblical principles for us to understand. And, and it's not something to condemn us. It's, it's an invitation where God is saying, no, we can make the right choices if you don't give up, if you keep trusting me, you will, you will land up where I'm wanting you to land up. So, so here's the point. We're talking about wise choices. The choice that I'm wanting to encourage you to make today and as you're going to the season ahead is what I'm calling the legacy choice. And no, not just because we've changed into legacy church, that's cheesy. I mean like sincerely. I'm wanting us to think in terms of legacy. So if every choice has a consequence, then surely... Surely, the, 
the way that we live our lives will determine the legacy that we leave. The question is not, will you leave a legacy? You will. The question is, what legacy will you leave? And do you even care? Which I'm sure you do. So we don't have it up on the screen. We don't have it on the version Bible notes. We have it up on the wall so that as you leave here every Sunday, you will actually see this question of what legacy will you leave? Now, to clarify, this is not an egotistical question. This is not will they, will they speak highly of you once you're gone one day? Will they think that you left you know, your wonderful mark on, on history? I mean, it may include something like that, but that's trivial. That is superficial. That is fleeting. What I'm talking about when I talk about a legacy is the effect that you have on the people around you. If you're a great CEO, wonderful. God has entrusted you with the opportunity to to form culture, to to have a a value system in the company, and to to treat your employees in a way that is either life-giving or they just pieces of machinery. And whether or not you ever get written about in some article or some piece of history or some magazine, the the legacy that you leave is is how you look after and treat your employees. If you have family, if you're married, if you have children, or whatever the case is, when I'm talking about legacy, I'm talking about whether or not you're passing on some of the legacy that you've inherited, which may or may not be painful and destructive. And whether or not you're passing on life and hope and love and joy and peace and patience and self-control. God, I honestly believe, entrusts us in part, so amongst, amongst other things, He entrusts us with our lives in order to actually pass on a life-giving legacy. Now, this might sound like a, like a bit of a strange question, but I want you, in fact, just close your eyes for a moment. This may be hard for you to, to, to discern in, in a rush, but if you're thinking of the domino effect, if you're thinking of the idea of sowing and reaping, right now, is there a single choice? So a single domino, a single habit. So again, we, we, we're talking from a choice point of view, more in the sense of recurring. Is there a single habit that if that alone were to change, it would help improve or increase the legacy that is inevitably oozing out of you to those around you. Is there a single, now this could be as weird as getting some more sleep. I say weird because most people won't think of that as being spiritual or or something highly significant, yet for, for many people, in the 21st century, that's one of the most significant shifts. Or maybe it's what you spend your disposable time on in terms of reading or watching or scrolling. For someone else, it may be the people that you surround yourself with, and not on a superficial level, but, but in terms of who you allow to influence you. That alone could be a significant shift that'll have a domino effect. And the choices we make determine the people we become. And the people we become, for better and for worse, will determine the legacy we leave. Agreed? You can open your eyes. Simple, right? I know this isn't terribly profound, everybody. Our challenge, this is my burden. 
and I mean like serious burden, is that I don't think for the most part our biggest obstacle is one of information or understanding. I think our biggest obstacle is how we live. It's, it's, it's the practices that we put into place. And so even though the idea of sowing and reaping, the idea of the dominoes could, could be on a principle level, yes, that's true, but on a practical level, how I live will far more determine whether or not I get to experience the life of Jesus, whether or not I get to experience the love, the joy. I can believe in joy. I can believe in in Scripture, in Philippians 4, verse 6, it talks about me being able to experience a supernatural joy that is beyond understanding. It's in spite of circumstances. I can, I can believe that academically, but if I'm living in a way that continues to feed anxiety and stress, and, and, I'm, and I'm feeding my body with toxins, and I'm hanging around people. Nowadays, we don't even have to hang around people. We just have to hang around with people, yeah. Right? So, so if 90% of the influence on my mind and my emotions and my heart is, is on a screen that is constantly feeding insecurity, comparison, destruction, anger, uh, corruption in the government, how am I supposed to experience peace? I believe in peace, but I'm not experiencing peace, and I actually believe that the life that Jesus invites us to, if we will follow him, is not just to think something or to believe something academically. It's to actually experience his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his gentleness, his self-control. So, one more passage of scripture that I want to bring your attention to. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, this is referring to the people that, that the author of Hebrews has just been writing about in the previous chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. All these great heroes of faith, some of them got to see great miracles, others got to only see great miracles after they died. That, that, that alone should give us some perspective. So, so, so some, Moses led Israelites through the Red Sea while the Egyptian army is barreling down on them, but then Hebrews 11 also says that there are others that were sawn in half. And it wasn't a magic trick. Like they lost their lives. But, but they, the passage says that they consider themselves to be aliens, as in foreigners, living in, an, in a foreign land, they knew that this wasn't home. And so their perspective was, home is in eternity, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. So since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Not the weight that we'd all like to strip off, I mean, like, like baggage, right? That slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Please let me just highlight very quickly that too often, we are concerned with the hectic, obvious, blatant stuff. Like, I mean, you should be. I'm just saying, too often we settle for that. Like, super hectic moral issues and, and blatant sin. Sure. It's not that we shouldn't care about that. I'm saying, we're aiming way too low if that's all we're... Okay, like, is this really sin? Like, is this really such a big issue? And I just feel like God is saying, no. I, I mean, yes. But, but don't, don't only avoid stuff that's obvious and destructive. I want more for you. I want you to choose what is life-giving. If you're a parent, you're, you should not be satisfied with simply your kids not landing up in prison. Yeah. What I mean by that is, hey, you can do whatever you want with your life as long as you don't commit a crime. Is that really the, the, the bar, the standard of satisfaction that we're going to have for our kids? The answer is no. Okay? If you love your kids, you don't just want them to not 
do stupid things and, 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 and destroy themselves. You want them to be whole, healthy, contributing, participating people that have a level of resilience, that can, that can carry weight, that can be healthy, contributing members of society. There's so much more that you want for them, right? Yeah. So guys, why would God want anything less for us? So when he says, not only should we get rid of the sin that trips us up, he's like, also, the weight that slows us down. And then, this is important, let us run with endurance. The race God has set before us. And I can't help but think that too often a message, an impression has been given to, to people that want to follow Jesus of it's just a couple of quick silver bullets and boom. It's like pixie dust is going to be spread over your life, sprinkled over your life, and everything's just going to be easy. And that's so far from the truth. This might sound discouraging for you. I don't want it to be. I want you to have perspective. Life will not be easy a lot of the time, maybe even most of the time. And it's not like you have great, I mean, just to be honest with you, you are seldom going to have great seasons and horrible seasons. There are more horrible seasons than there are better seasons. But a lot of the time, you're going to have blessings and burdens. There's, there are going to be elements where it's like, wow, I can just, like it's so much easier for me to see God's kindness and goodness here, and then you know, I feel like I'm really taking a stranger or battling, or I'm ca- I care about this person that's suffering, they're making bad choices, and you're burdened by that. It's very rare that you're just going to have a good season or a bad season. It's, I think the longer you live and follow God, there are, it's just a matter of, is there more challenges this season or less challenges? Does it look like you're winning the lot? You know, is everything just working out for you this season, or, or a little bit less than normal, but, but still you keep persevering. We need to run with endurance, the race that God has marked out for us. And the reason I, I'm emphasizing that is because we're not going to leave the kind of legacy that actually matters if we're not willing to endure. This is low-hanging fruit, so, so forgive the illustration, but you know, if a parent abdicates and runs out on, on his or her kids, that lack of endurance, I'm not, look, marriage, that's a whole nother, down to that, there's so many factors and, and, and there's enough condemnation for people in that area. But I'm just saying, regardless of that, when a parent decides to basically give up on their kids and not to be a part of their lives anymore, that's an endurance issue and that has a knock-on effect, a domino effect that has a very strong legacy impact. And unless we choose to break that pattern and to change that trajectory, so yes, maybe your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, maybe there's been this, 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 this thing of passing on from one generation to the, to the next generation of, of we only do what's easy, we only do what's convenient, we don't persevere, we don't endure challenges, we don't, we don't stick with one another for, for, for a lifetime because that's like you're my kid or you're my spouse. Or you can... Change that if that's the legacy that's been passed on to you. Maybe that is part of what, maybe you're, you're reaping a harvest that, that your family lineage has sown, but you can sow a new set of seeds that can p- produce a new harvest. We have to run with endurance, the race that God has marked for us. Then, he, then the author goes on to talk about we do this by keeping our eyes on, on Jesus, which 
I know it might sound very, like, okay, that's correct, tick, that sounds like a good Sunday school thing to say, but, but again, it's so much deeper than that. It's actually nurturing that healthy life-giving relationship with Jesus where he keeps encouraging us when you're going through challenges, where he keeps giving us perspective, where he keeps reminding us of how loved we are, where, he, where, he, where, where there's even just that whisper of, just carry on. Yeah, but I've tried and I've done and nothing. Nah, just <clears throat> carry on. We're keeping our eyes on Jesus on a relational daily level, but also as the one that set the example for us. He modeled for us, is what this passage is referring to, how he was misunderstood, falsely accused, ultimately betrayed. And none of that was deserved. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times where I really struggle with being misunderstood. It's one of, it's one of, my, one of my deepest shadow side things that I've, got to, that I've got to guard against reacting to being misunderstood. I don't want to be misunderstood. Like, it's a deep issue. Some of you maybe don't care. I care a little bit too much. And it's something that I've got to actually guard from a spiritual point of view. I look to Jesus. He was okay being misunderstood. His identity and security was not in whether or not everyone understood and approved and agreed. It was in his Father. So I look to Jesus. That's the example. When, when I feel like I'm all alone, when I don't like the current journey I'm on, and I feel like, oh, this is a little bit rough, this is a little bit unfair, you look to Jesus, and you're like, okay, okay, if Jesus could say to the Father, if there's another way, like now's the time, and he prayed that three times in the garden before he was arrested, that encourages me, saying, okay, okay, it's okay to feel certain things, because I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus, he's my model, he's an example, and he's certainly an example of perseverance. It goes on in verse 15 to say, uh, kind of in the second half, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. He's saying that if you're going to persevere, if you're going to run the race with endurance that God has marked out for you, there's going to be correction. There's going to be discipline. Discipline's not a dirty word. It's not against the law. In fact, if you love your kids as a parent, you're going to correct them and discipline them age appropriately. Way too many parents try and do what, you know, for their kids when they're teenagers what they should have done when they were small and they give them all the freedom when they're small that they should be increasingly giving them as they become teenagers and young adults. That was for free. So, so if you are a healthy parent, you are going to, on an age-appropriate level, discipline your kids. Not punish in the sense of anger and you better suffer because you made a stupid mistake. No, it's... Discipline is, is, is where we get the word disciple from. It's, it's about coaching, leading, directing, correcting. And don't give up when he corrects you. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in, in his message translation, or paraphrase where he says, my dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but also don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines, the child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you, verse 7. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training. The normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. This is obviously referring to young children, not your 30-year-old kids. Okay? They should be fending for themselves. Just so you know. And not only at 30, but... I may get into some tricky waters here. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our parents for training and not spoiling us. Now think about it. 
In the moment, that's not true. In the moment, we're like, spoil away, baby. Make life easier. But long term, you are very grateful where your parents didn't spoil you and actually helped develop you. So it's okay in the moment to have our, these human feelings and desires, but, but let's trust God. Let's respond to His correction, respond to His discipline. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them, but God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. No kidding. It always feels like it's going, going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. It's the well-trained. Not those with good intentions. Not those that have this, this, this beautiful, theoretical 14-point plan, but, but it's been there for 17 years and we haven't taken the first step yet. No, no, it's the well-trained. And going back to what I said earlier, my burden is that our gravitational pull is towards more and more knowledge. And we think, I think subconsciously that if I just know more or understand more, I'm going to be different. But it's not that you don't need that, but that's not enough. We need to actually be trained. We need to be coached. We need to look at the way we live. And it's only in training, not just wishing harder. I think, I think where we think willpower comes in is where God's saying, actually, that's where training comes in. Training, habits, practices. A discipline is when you commit to a habit, you commit to a certain routine that you do not have the natural willpower to achieve until it becomes a self-discipline where actually now without having to try too hard, you're able to do that. It is the well-trained. In verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 12, in the New Living Translation, it says, so take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Again, you can hear that the author is representing God as our Father. He's not saying, oh, shame, your hands are tired. He's got an Aussie accent all of a sudden. You know, your hands are tired, mate. Yeah, shame. Shame, Sheila. It'll be all right. Yeah, too right. He's not saying, oh, shame. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. I don't know about you, but, but when I'm tired, I don't feel like someone's saying, hey, take a new grip with your tired hands. I'll tell you what I want to do with my hands. I'm not taking your grip. Yeah. And strengthen your weak knees. Please don't miss this. You see, if we didn't understand the idea of legacy, we wouldn't understand the conviction and compassion involved in verse 12. If you go on to verse 13, the author says, Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. In other words, verse 13 is saying, if you will take a fresh grip with your tired hands, if you will strengthen your weak knees, you will actually make it, you'll remove obstacles for those that are coming after you. You're going to mark out a straight path for others. And, and in fact, in this particular translation, it's referring to those who are weak and lame. 
So, so there are people that have been hurt. There are people that are carrying brokenness. And the more that we grow in health and wholeness, the more we can straighten out the path, fill in the potholes, remove obstacles for people that are broken, hurting, and in need of healing to make it easier for them to actually travel on that path. Again, message paraphrase puts it this way. So don't sit around on your hands. No more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long-distance runners so no one will trip and fall. So no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Help each other out and run for it. You are living or should be living for more than just your own life. And when we care about that, when we care about people that are coming after us, when we care about the people that we currently have influence over, and by the way, I think you have more influence. My bet would be that you have more influence over more people than what you realize, than what you give yourself credit for. You may, you may be convinced in your mind that you have very low social capital, very low social influence at work, at school, in your family, but who knows the influence that you could have if you took a fresh grip with your tired hands and strengthened your weak knees and allowed God to slowly but surely over the long arc, so you're trusting the instrument panel, you, you're, you're trusting the navigation system to, it doesn't look like you're getting to where you want to go, but you're trusting it that it's going to get you. If you just keep doing the next right thing that you know to do, that you will actually leave a legacy that is life-giving. Because you will leave a legacy. The only question is what? And maybe you have received a really, really broken, unfortunate, dysfunctional, painful legacy. And maybe there's even a small part of you, and this is very understandable on a human level. Maybe there's a small part of you that feels like, well, I've had to work hard and suffer and grit my teeth and, and push through for decades. I'm not going to make it easier for the next person, you know, for the next young whippersnapper who comes up to, to just do their own thing. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm not talking about removing training and removing responsibility. I'm talking about learning lessons in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, fill in the gap, whatever age group you're in, that maybe as you learn those lessons, as you grow increasingly whole and healthy, you're able to pass that on. Maybe to someone who's a decade younger or two decades younger or three decades younger. And maybe they're able to, to, to learn how to forgive 20 years earlier than what you did. Maybe they're able to learn healthy boundaries 10 or 15 years earlier than what you did. That's not spoiling them. That's training them so that when they face their own inevitable giants, which they will, make no mistake, make no mistake, they will, every person is going to face character-building challenges. But if you've already been able to pass on some of those lessons, who knows how much further they can run than you or I, how much more they can build than you or I. I am desperately grateful. I have both my mother and father in the service at the moment. I'm desperately grateful that both of them didn't just reproduce what was passed on to them by their parents. Are they perfect? Far from it. <laughs> but both of them in different ways. So my father was abandoned by his father. He never abandoned us. 
He stayed present. He worked hard. He taught me a work ethic from the youngest age. He modeled that. My mother was literally rejected by her father because of a single choice that she made. And he said, if you do that, and it wasn't a moral issue, it just wasn't his preference, you'll be dead to me. Until the day he died, he rejected her. Instead, she is the most loving, gracious, accepting, kind-hearted person I know. Has that helped me? Massively. Massively. Were there still gaps? Way too many to mention. And so I've had to fight my own battles and have to continue to fight my own battles, but I'm so grateful that those aren't battles I had to fight. And, and, and there are things that I didn't understand or receive in my teens or 20s that I think, by God's grace, we're passing on to our daughter, who's 18, by the way, today. Taylor Grace is 18 today. That I can see there are things that she's understanding in her teen years that I struggle to really adapt in my 20s or 30s. And I think that she's going to face different battles than giants in her 20s and 30s, but she won't have to face those. So take a new grip with your tired hands. Strengthen your weak knees so that those who come after you won't trip unnecessarily, won't fall unnecessarily. What recurring, what single recurring habit, pattern, practice, rhythm, whatever you want to call it, what might God be inviting you to give attention to, and for the most part, for the most part, for most of us, it's going to be a case of subtraction more than addition. I'm not trying to make your life more hectic. I'm not trying to overburden an already overburdened life. I think for most of us, it would actually start with actually reducing something, removing something, or maybe replacing it with something that is life-giving. So let me get you to stand to your feet for a few moments. I want to encourage you to close your eyes. And just as a posture of humility and surrender, if you're comfortable or willing to do this, to just open your hands. It's just a posture that says, God, help me not to miss anything that you might be whispering to me. God, is there a single idea, is there a single practice, a single habit, rhythm, pattern that you're wanting to bring to my attention? Okay, Sam, we're going to, I'm actually okay with us. Seriously, eyes closed, allowing for some silence. For some of us, it might actually be an area of discipline, but we don't see it as a negative, destructive thing from an ugly, angry father, where it's actually the most loving father, the kindest person you'll ever meet, who's saying to you, I am inviting you to make a change that's going to lead to life. It's going to lead to life. And all I can encourage you to do 
is to respond to God's invitation. Whether that is something that is encouraging you to remove, to replace, or maybe it is even something to add. I mean, for example, for some of us, it could just be that we need to add some intentional time with God on a regular basis. But then remove something else so that you're not overwhelming an already overwhelmed schedule. Father, in this moment, please, would you help us to know where it is your voice, your prompting, your, your whisper, your thought, where it's you that is making us aware of how much you love us, that we are noticed, that we are seen, that you care for us. And that is from that heart that you'd be inviting us to make a change. Just as your eyes are closed for a few moments, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to encourage us to the heart of the one who would invite you towards a change or a shift. Just with your eyes closed for a few moments, I heard something recently about a, about a mother who was standing on the side of, of a football game and how she just kept cheering on every single team member. When they, would, when they would make a great play, do a great move, she'd be shouting, hey, 52, I see you, I see you. Great job, 52. It wasn't her kid. Someone else does something, hey, 27, I see you. I see you. Hey, 18, great job, I see you. And if you would only know how you have a heavenly father, creator of the universe, who I think for some people right now, not because others, not because it's not true for others, but because some of you need to know this, for some of you to actually know that there's a father who'd be saying, hey, I see you. Great job, carry on. where you are seen, you are loved, you matter. You are celebrated, not just tolerated. And I promise you, when that understanding starts to shift in us, it's amazing how much more responsive we are to God. And I think for way too many of us, and I include myself, this, is, this has been a battle for me for, for a great deal of my life, to actually break that subconscious sense of I'm tolerated instead of celebrated. God loves you. You are celebrated. He invites you to make changes that will lead to life. And part of the reason for that is so that we can leave a legacy. God bless you. Amen.